Welcome to the Rack House Whiskey Podcast. We got uh, Heath Schneider and Whiskey Rich with us today. And uh, as we were just talking about a little bit ago, Rich has got us all messed up on some good stuff here today. And we're here to talk about the uh, what's behind that and the stories behind that and how this, uh, this whiskey distillery became what it is today. Uh, we got the opportunity to go out to the farm today and to see where... Uh, bootlegging grandma was out there uh making some stuff and and heath that's that's your grandmother correct. uh correct and correct. and so we want to talk and hear some of this incredible story and so now uh, first of all heath uh you know talk a little bit about your grandmother and uh and where this was happening and, and why she was doing it and how much she was producing and the story behind that so grandma was uh working a farm back in the uh 20s and 30s and uh, living with my grandfather and three kids and mm-hmm. out of necessity she uh, started making bootleg whiskey on the farm uh, she both was in the process of making a large batch uh, almost 300 gallons a day selling it for well she was paid 75 cents a gallon for the use of the farm in the event they got caught taking the full blame for it and um, at the same time she was doing some small batch in a corn crib area uh, and selling it around the Templeton and Carroll area. So it was a great story. Uh, I think I have the only bootlegging grandma in the history of Iowa and maybe the United States for 1930 era. Now, talk about that corn crib area a little bit. You know, when we went out and looked at it, is this with the creek that we went and seen? So the creek was the large batch. Okay. That's where they were doing the 300 gallons. They had the cook living in the Uh, north uh, bedroom of a two-story home. Uh, He lived there six days a week, uh, cooked at night, slept during the day, and they hid him up there pretty much uh, out of sight so the neighbors wouldn't ask questions as to what that guy was doing there. And then the small batch was done just outside the uh, family home in a corn crib, uh, barn type of building, and that was really where the recipe came from. Our recipe is small batch, small barrel, uh, about 55 uh, gallons of mash turns into about four gallons of pure white spirit, white rye product. Now, ex- now explain the large batch first, because um, that's just kind of incredible to me. When we were there looking at it, you know, I could you could imagine that it's just a cornfield there. And explain what how they got away from the airplanes uh, from being seen, what was going on underneath there. That's a great story. So... Uh, Back in the 30s, the Prohibition uh, agents were actively seeking bootleggers in Templeton. There, there were n- numerous families and farms supporting themselves by making whiskey. And my grandma and grandpa were one of those families. And uh, the way they hid the stills is they would put it out in a cornfield and they needed water. So they located it really close to a well and a creek. Uh, they used that water to cool the, the spirits and turn it into liquid when it's a vapor. But what was neat about what they did, and Grandma told me this back in the day, is they would build a stilt type of process, hide the still under the wooden stilts, and then put a layer of dirt and grow corn on top of that stilt process so that it would hide it from any aerial surveillance. And they did that for years. Uh, the only way they got caught was uh, fox hunters came across the still and ran into town and told people they'd found a still out 
on the farm. And I do believe that's when they tore it all down and most likely buried all that uh, still equipment. And then and then buried the fox hunter somewhere out. In the right. Yeah. <laughs> <Probably>. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully. My God. Shut your mouth, man. Right. Yeah. He must have been from Manny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll explain that. Now explain how the counties worked out. You tell you that, you know, the Methodists uh, and the Catholics with the, with the wet and the dries that they used to, you know, the differences and honestly it came down to religion. Well, in large part, it was uh, definitely a religion split. Uh, the Catholics, the German Catholics, were in Carroll County, living in Templeton. And um, the uh, Audubon area had more um, Protestants. And uh, the Protestants were dry, and the Catholics were wet. That's what they referred to them as, dries and wets. So all the bootlegging Catholics were living in Carroll County and making bootleg whiskey. And, and honestly, the entire county of Carroll believed in people's right to make whiskey. And even though it was federally illegal, you know, the 18th Amendment was passed and everything was supposed to be dry, the, the Catholics in Templeton and Carroll didn't believe in that. So they would uh, refuse to convict, even when caught, red-handed. Not that my grandmother was ever caught. She is one of the few lucky, smart, whatever you want to call it, who never got caught. They did bust a farm just down the road, wrong farm. but um, Which they were actually going for her. Correct. It was wrong, right? Yeah, correct. But uh, uh, Grandma was never caught, and um, Grandpa used to haul that whiskey from about two, uh, two miles outside of Templeton. So the farm is two miles from Manning, two miles from Templeton, almost equidistance, and they would uh, choose between hauling it to Manning or hauling it to Templeton based on where the trains were, and then it was distributed from that point forward. And where did it most likely go towards? Well, because I wasn't there, I can't say for sure, but it's alleged it went to Chicago. Uh, There's a lot of uh, people that would allege, and for that matter, it is uh, common knowledge that uh, spirits from the Templeton area were being distributed out of Chicago through uh, organized crime. And uh, it's really how it became so popular. I know uh, spirits out of the Templeton area were preferred by Al Capone. It was alleged to be his favorite whiskey. Now, mind you, there was 30 farms probably making product, and that all being large batch. So as one farm would get busted, another farm would pop up. Uh, And then what I thought was kind of neat is my grandma on the side was making what I call a baker's version of it. And we talked about that a little bit, the uniqueness of her processes. Many of these processes, patent pending, um, that make a natural, non-enzyme, pure spirit that I believe to be unparalleled. Yeah, yeah. Now, why is it that, you know, you guys make uh, the whiskey 15-gallon uh, barrels is that correct? Your grandmother did. Yeah, that's a funny story. Yeah, yeah. They, that's they're quite odd, honestly, in the in the distillery world, right? I mean, right. what was the reasons why she did that? Well, many use forty and fifty and sixty gallon uh, barrels, and um, when Rich's family, you know, whiskey rich here, uh, his family interviewed my grandma in her nineties. They brought a recipe that they thought thought was accurate to the whiskey being manufactured in Templeton, Iowa. And there's four or five, six recipes out there. And uh, my grandma took their recipe and just started putting lines, this is wrong, this is wrong, 
this is wrong. And one of the things they had wrong that she was adamant about is they had a 40-gallon barrels. And she says, that's absolutely wrong. And Rich's family says, well, what's wrong about that? I mean, everybody uses, you know, 40, 50, 60-gallon drums. She says, you ever try to run with a 40-gallon barrel? Which is true. I mean, you cannot run. <laughs> They're heavy. Trust me. A 15-gallon barrel is respectable. You pick that up and run. But the reason they use 15 gallons is you pick it up and run. So That's awesome. I thought that was just a great, great story. Oh, yeah. It does also help us on some other facets of our product, but we will always be 15-gallon drum. Oh, and it has a great story behind it. Now, Whiskey Rich, what was it like to uh, to speak to this grandma and start to learn from her and, and develop this product that you had? I mean, were you just wanting to go back in time yourself? Well, I'd give anything if I would have been there, but it was a family member that spoke to Heath's grandmother, and uh, she taught him how to cook it, and um, actually, he showed up, he was all proud when he got it right, and showed up with a 50-gallon, 53-gallon keg in his truck, and when he got out of the truck, she told him that, uh, what the hell's wrong with you? And he goes, what'd I do? She said, 15-gallon kegs. You pick that some bitch up and run with it. You're not gonna. You'll be in prison. Chew yeah. his ass. Yeah. <laughs> and that was that's because he's ornery. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, the 15 gallon kegs. There's another reason we use them, and that's because they do a better job in 18 to 24 months than a 53 gallon keg does in five years, because you have more whiskey touching wood surface area. And uh, there's several things that I do that are little secrets that make it age faster. And uh, one of them I call Angry Whiskey. And I'll explain that to you later when we go out in the barrel room. Okay. <clears throat> um, but my wife told me to go legal or not come home. So here I am. A very wise woman. Yeah, she is. But, yeah, uh, she is. Yeah, I would never do anything illegal anyway, but uh, if I would, doing it legal is just as fun as doing it illegal. Right, I could imagine. I love making whiskey. Yeah. When you're good at it, um, we've had the chance to try it ourselves, and I mean, it'll make you stutter. It does. It was, I, I'm going to be stuttering. <laughs> I got some dry mouth coming up on now that my tongue's a little. But what's um, what's interesting is that it is so strong, but it, it has this. Uh, you know, when we walked into this place, it's got a, a, a the, the smell of uh, of baked bread, buttered bread. The you know, uh, that's that's just. Uh, Obviously, there's patent pending processes, and you guys got your secret your secret sauce, for lack of a better word. But I mean, that's that's something that I don't, have not experienced before. Um, there's hardly an aftertaste uh, with that alcohol, um, you know. But the original this 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 white rye that we're talking about is made with the, with Grandma's original type of equipment. Not obviously the the exact ones, but the uh, equipment that was very similar to that. Correct. Yep. And it's uh, it's made exactly like she did a hundred years ago, you know. Um, had one gentleman that uh, <laughs> wanted to uh, buy this at one time and and mass produce the white, and uh, I told him I won't do that because you take your grandma's recipe that you like the best for eating dinner, and make that for ten thousand people. It won't taste the same, and I'm not going to do it. Um, when you eat drink this whiskey. You're going home for Thanksgiving dinner. When you drink everything else, you're going through a fast food restaurant. <laughs> That's the difference. Hmm. I'll put it up against anything on purity. Anything. There's not a whiskey on the market this pure. And there's nothing that'll mix this good 
hell, it's the best damn whiskey out there, and I challenge anybody. I'll run a taste test with anybody. I don't care who they are. Yeah. It's true small batch, too. I don't have a 100,000-gallon wash tank. And it, I make it. It's all made right here in Carroll County. It's not made in Indiana. It's the real shit. Yeah. No, it, it really is. Um, you know, the the process that you guys have here is, is, is quite incredible. What makes it – can you explain what makes it white rye? Because there's the use – we were talking earlier is that's kind of a rare – there's not many white ryes out there. Well, it's, it's very – actually, it's hard to make. Um, I don't really know how to make any other whiskey because I've never made any other one. Um, I messed around with some corn whiskey, and I can't stand corn whiskey. But rye is difficult, and, it, and even the rye grown, it depends on – what part of the field it was in? Was it in sand? Was it in clay? How much water did it get? Everything depends. There's so many steps. If you screw up one of them, you screwed up the whole thing. But to make it like this, it's it's difficult. It's I don't know how to explain it. I'm lucky because I was just, uh, you're born with it or you're not. Yeah. And uh, I was born with it. <laughs> it's, it's Some, like... I had a famous moonshiner from Templeton. Um, well, I can't use his name because he's still alive. I had just gotten my ass chewed making it, and uh, he put his hand on my shoulder when he was leaving the cave and said, son, some people can play a a guitar, some can play a piano, some can make whiskey. And uh, that spun me. About a year later, I figured out what he was talking about, and goddamn, I can make whiskey. Yeah, (laughs) you sure can. You sure can. Um, what is it though that is you said that, that makes the white rye? You said it was like the field that it can grow in. Like what makes Iowa the, the the rye is grown right here by Brian Earlbeck between Templeton and Manning, and it's Iowa soil. You ever seen Iowa black top soil? Sure, N- nothing grows better, and it's cereal rye. Um, I don't have to worry about it being grown in sand or in clay. It's good soil. Um, it does exactly what I want it to. Um, other rides you have to force to get it to do some of the secret things that his grandma taught my family member. And uh, it's you'll, you'd know that if you did it. You know, a ride that you'd buy commercially won't do what you want it to do. You have to force it. And when you force it, you compromise taste. You compromise yield. Um, this is really good. And, and that's it's because it's growing in Iowa. I get everything from Iowa everything except for two things and and uh the barrels come from missouri and my bottles come from no my barrels come from minnesota the bottles come from missouri gotcha okay and that's it everything else comes from iowa carroll county actually yeah now heath how much how much whiskey was was grandma making uh through through these small batches and large batch so uh, grandma was making uh, exactly the the same amount, the same batch size, the same yield as Rich does today. And reason for that is it was passed down. It actually skipped a generation in my family. Grandma didn't want any of her children making whiskey. She felt like they were all successful. You know, they were doing very well. So the recipe really, as far as my family goes, had passed, uh, was gone with her passing. She'd written it down you know, the basic versions, but left out some key features so that family members wouldn't go out and start making whiskey again for hobby, you know, Mm -hmm. instead of necessity for hobby. But um, thanks to Rich's family, you know, Rich's family helped us to preserve 
the history of that small batch whiskey she made and uh, saved the key features that she left out. And um, as I stated earlier, we have two particular features that are patent pending. We actually don't tell anyone about those features because it's what makes our product uh, work without enzymes, which is unheard of. You know, you tell people you make whiskey without enzymes, they'll tell you that's impossible. Uh, we actually have a natural process, a nature's process that creates uh, our enzymes for us through a nature, natural. We don't add a chemical enzyme. We don't pulverize our rye. And by doing that, we create a much more pure product. And uh, I think Rich and I uh, get a call about once a week telling us our our liquor products are most dangerous liquor products in the world because you don't get hangovers. Now, we can't say that. You know, I mean, TTB says we can't say no hangover. But I can tell you at least once a week we get a call and say you've got the most dangerous liquor on the planet. I don't get a hangover. And a lot of that's from the enzyme being natural. Well, there is no enzyme. Or yeah, the, the, or, enzy- the, yeah right. the, everyone exactly. who uses enzymes, it's a, it's a chemical. It's, they exactly. basically pound the rye or pound the grain, throw in a chemical process, chemistry, a lab-made process, and then make liquor. It's, it's forcing the process. It's hurrying the it's process. It's not malted either. It's yeah. not malted. Like you're being crushed up? Right. right. Gotcha. Yeah. Our, our, we actually go just the opposite. We keep it absolutely natural and uh, let uh, nature take its course and then uh, create our liquor in that fashion, and it comes out uh, pure in that method. Interesting. Now, Heath, you, you said you just started doing this about eight weeks ago. <laughs> What's, that, was, that was quite – in your knowledge and the family history and heritage that you have with this process now, I mean, obviously there's a little bit of a learning curve, but it's very impressive. I mean, what's – you know, what's, what's been, what's, what's it been like since you've, you've jumped back into this and you live in Las Vegas and coming back home to, you kind of feel like it's pulling you back. I mean, talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So I was very blessed to, to, uh, I call it a coincidence, but I don't technically believe in coincidence. Uh, met Rich. My uh, uncle was here visiting. Rich was mentioning my grandmother on his website and had the name spelled wrong. So my <laughs> uncle came in and said, Hey, if you're going to talk about my mom, you might, might want to spell her name right. So uh, they hit it off really well, and Rich was, you know, mentioned to my uncle, hey, I could really use a partner if you'd moved to Carroll County. I'd love to make you my partner. And my uncle, being a very successful podiatrist, retired in his 70s, was like, no, I'm, I'm done, but appreciate the offer. Well, I was standing there, and I thought either A, my uncle was slow playing Rich, or B, uh, he really wasn't interested. So as soon as we left, I called him up, and I'm like, hey, uh, uncle. You, you slow playing this guy or are you really not interested? Because if you're not interested, I'm interested. You know, I've, I've always loved the story of Grandma Bootleg and Whiskey. Uh, uh, it seems like a great product. Everything I've, I've tried has been phenomenal. The feedback's been unbelievable. And he's like, no, I only have one request. And I even told Rich this. <laughs> and, you know, mind you, this is my uncle. And he says, make sure you treat Rich really well. And I'm like, wait a second, I'm your, I'm your nephew and you want me to worry about treating Rich right? And that's how Rich is. He just warms everybody up and end up your uncle selling you down the river because he wants you to take care of Rich. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, that's a true story. Yeah. So uh, Rich pretty much said, hey, Heath, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to get out of the whiskey business. I've been tired. I'm, I'm done. I just, I'm, I've, you know, 
taken as far as it can, and uh, this is my price. I came back to Rich and said, hey, Rich, I'll give you that price on one condition, and that's you, you be my partner. And that's worked out amazingly well. He's a, a, a fantastic man. Uh, he's got a heart of gold. He's loyal as the day is long. And he's taught me how to make whiskey. You know, I actually made my first, I'm the first sextro who legally made whiskey in the history of the world. And that was about two weeks ago, and, and now we make whiskey together about two weeks out every month. I come back right to Carroll every two weeks, and we uh, make whiskey and make plans. And, you know, I don't know if I want to say world domination's on the plan, but we, we just try to make the best whiskey on the planet and uh, let people decide uh, what they want to drink and why they want to drink it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've uh, I've heard from around the country now, being in Las Vegas and other people, that it's legit. And I got to try it today for the first time, and you're right. You're standing up by it. Um, you know, I, what's interesting, too, is that your grandma spent so long not telling anybody. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. Talk a little about that. I mean, that was, it was before she was, like, what, you said 90 years old? Yeah, my grandma kept her secret all the way into her 90s. Um, it was, she had some family members that really, uh, frowned on it, you know, uh, I don't know if they were drys too or what their situation was, but, uh, they just didn't like the idea of their sister being called a bootlegger. She comes from a family of 11 siblings Hmm. and, uh, many, uh, well, a few of her siblings still living here in Carroll County. And, uh, so it was it was something that she did out of necessity. You know, grandma wasn't out there making millions of dollars bootlegging whiskey. She was out there bootlegging whiskey to feed her kids and, and, pay, for the farm. and pay for the farm. Yeah. My great grandfather told him pay the rent or get off the farm. He was a tough man. And, uh, she did it out of necessity. It, it fed her family. It got them through the depression. And I think that's where she left it. You know, she was done with it when it was done, but in her 90s, uh, my uncle my uncle kept going to her, asking her details about the recipe. And she looks at him, and she's like, what's this all about here? You're not getting back into the whiskey business, are you? And he's like, no, no, and I'm not getting this. She's like, because I think she wanted in on it in her 90s, because it's just the woman she was. You know, <laughs> she's going to be making yeah. whiskey. She's going to be part of it. It's in her blood. Yeah. 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 I mean, she's in her 90s, and Grandma's a hard charger all, all her life. She worked, she worked hard her entire life absolute 100% from the time she was about 12 she's farmed out uh, being a, a bed wife to women having children in Carroll County her parents kept the money you know that that's the way it was back then and uh, she married my grandpa they were they were poor you know farmers still farming with horses and she'd go out and pick the corn you know she'd go out and make the bread she'd she'd work sun up to sundown and uh, we're really proud of her and in her 90s, uh, thank God, Rich's family seeked her out as an, as, as an authority on whiskey making. You know, they had friends of friends who knew friends, and they knew my grandma was a hell of a whiskey maker back in the day. And they, they honestly rescued the recipe from the grave. Because if it weren't for Rich's family, this recipe would have been lost, never to be made again. And uh, thank God, through chance, uh, Rich... Rich's family met my grandma. I met Rich. And now we're making the world's best whiskey. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that, that time period and how the town was in Carroll County and when the feds would come in, where they would hide some of this whiskey, you know, some of this, just, you call it folklore, but I mean, but it's, uh, 
this is real stuff that happened and where they hit it and 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 in the what happened in the attic or not the attic but the bedroom and the house on the north side and then also what may i don't know if you want to discuss the barrels that are out there mm-hmm. somewhere yeah. let me tell you something real quick we had a lady come in here that was 91 years old and she, her uncle was a sheriff in carroll county during prohibition and they lived in this uh hotel down here right across railroad tracks it's a historical site, but you got to fix up the building. Yeah. But she told us some stories, and one of the stories she told us was when the uh, he, the sheriff, he, and which was her uncle, would wear his hat different sideways or different way than he always did, and that told all the bootleggers that the feds were coming. And uh, just a bunch of old stories like that were, were really cool. They would wear it sideways. Yep. Yeah, in fact, all the people in town would wear hats when the feds were in town. And that was just uh, another way, way to signal that the feds were in town. And, and Carroll County was not friendly to the 18th Amendment. I mean, let's just be honest. The, the Catholics, the German Catholics, were making whiskey. And th- they didn't feel that the 18th Amendment should, be, should apply, especially in tough times when everybody's suffering. And uh, mortgages keep going and payments can't be made because hogs and uh commodities aren't selling so they're selling whiskey but uh what i really like about the story is it was a matter of necessity and there is uh there there have been stories told to me of uh whiskey being buried all over carroll county i mean in the 30s when you wanted to keep something especially something illicit you buried it and we are in an active process of looking for stills and barrels on farms all over Carroll County. And probably in the next 30 days, we're going to start running uh, a a group of German shepherds out seeking barrels. Uh, We've got underground sonar. We're going to start searching for stills and barrels. And uh, there's a few stories told to uh, one of my aunts that says there's barrels out there. So we're going to start seeking that legend. We'd love nothing more than to find 90-year-old Templeton whiskey buried out in a farm field somewhere. Now, explain you're, you're explaining to me this, this morning, you know, for some of the people who may be thinking, well, there's no way those barrels are still intact. Explain why they possibly still could be intact. Oh, absolutely. So uh, because they use 15-gallon uh, oak barrel, uh, oak is a very hard wood, and there's a lot of clay in the soil. So clay is a natural sealant. It seals things very well. And we're absolutely convinced that there could be 90-year-old barrels out in a a clay burial, uh, buried relatively shallow. You know, everything was hand-buried back then. And uh, I've been told with uh, uh, not just by one person, but one person told me and then another person confirmed the fact that they buried barrels at a time when they got scared and versus throwing away, they buried them. But they never got dug up, so we're gonna go looking for those barrels. That's awesome. fascinating. I mean, the thing is, is it's, it's. I don't even know if it's a new thing about people burying things to hold on to them. I mean, we know uh, down in uh, in Mexico, they used to bury certain things. You know, when the the cartel was running around and doing, and they're still finding like barrels of cash 
Right. Oh, that farmer just did a few years ago. Yeah. Um, you there know, could be buried. There could be buried cash out there. I think we're going to turn Carroll County into a treasure hunt before we're done. You know, crazy. I'm going to have every guy from here to yeah. Australia driving to Carroll County with uh, shovel in hand, a new gold rush, I suppose. You know, looking for barrels, looking for stills, looking for money. I mean, it was happening back then, and it was happening in in large fashion. You know, we're talking 300 gallons a night on multiple farms. You do the math. How you long know. have you have you known about this buried, these buried barrels? Um, well, uh, the barrels I just found out about when Heath told me, but I do know there are some fence posts that uh, have jars of whiskey underneath them, because a jar of whiskey is the same size as a fence post, and they used to pull the posts out of the ground and stick the jars in there, and then when you saw a fence post higher than the others, you knew it had whiskey underneath you, and there's still some lost out there. Really. And uh, now that won't be aged that long because it'd be in a glass court, you know, a canning jar, mm-hmm. but it'd be damn good whiskey. Sure. Oh, yeah. Well, it's old. I mean, my gosh. I mean, what? see, that's the kind of what we're trying to talk about here is this whole story thing. I mean, would it taste great? Who, who, I mean, who knows? But the story behind that. If, that, his, if his grandma made it, it'd be goddamn it good the same? whiskey. Right. Yeah. Well, it and, tastes the same as it was when it was put in that jar. Yeah. Well, and uh, just this week, uh, we were meeting with uh, a brewer, uh, uh, Carroll Brewery, here in town. They make beer, make good beer, and they showed us a vessel where they can take three or four spores of yeast. I don't know if it's spores. Cells. Cells of yeast, three excuse cells me. Is all they need. Yeah, with three cells, like, let's say we find whiskey from that era, from 1930. And whether it be under a fence post, in a barrel, whatever the case may be, if they find three cells of yeast, they told us they could recreate that yeast and we could see just how incredible we could make whiskey. We could It's like putting you in a time machine and running you back to 1930 at that point in time if we're using the same yeast they used back then. And we're convinced if we find that yeast and we make that whiskey, it'll be exactly what we're putting in a bottle today, wow. like a time machine. Wow. So explain why the yeast is so important. Yeast is the, the, the lifeblood of, of whiskey. It's what creates alcohol. You know, you feed yeast sugar and uh, use rye with our special patent pending process. You don't use enzymes and it creates magic. I mean, yeast, uh, there's so many varieties of yeast. And uh, to go back and find three cells of yeast from 1930 and make liquor... Wow. Yeah. I mean, that is just short. I mean, the only thing you do better is create a time machine. Yeah. And I don't think we have one of those yet, so we're, we're working on that. We think that's fantastic. And we were really excited when those guys told us, hey, we need to take three cells of yeast and make thousands and recreate that and save it forever. They actually work with a biologist out of Ames to do that. And gotcha. we are pursuing that 100% because we're convinced that that will absolutely solidify the fact that we make that era yeah. exactly right. Now, One of the only. What does a 90, an aged 90-year-old <laughs> bottle of whiskey cost? Yeah, you can go to YouTube. Uh, there's a few whiskey companies out there. You know, unfortunately uh, for Rich and I, he's only been uh, legal since 14. So Rich doesn't have any whiskey pre-14 because that's, that's the law. But I have found some that possibly could be over 30 years old. 
<laughs> I was just sitting in front of my door one morning. Yeah. <laughs> That's those other guys making it. How convenient, right? yeah. I, I don't know. But. Yeah. But uh, um, I even made me lose my train of thought. The, the YouTube and Oh, yeah. So yeah, thank you, thank you. So uh, this isn't me saying this. This is something you can search on, on YouTube. If you search the uh, most expensive bottle of whiskey, uh, they've got whiskey uh, companies out there right now selling mm. a 90-year-old bottle of whiskey for over a half a million dollars. Mm. And every barrel has 75 bottles. So you talk about a gold rush. You talk about buried treasure. That'd be amazing Literally. to find a yeah. 1930 Templeton whiskey barrel. I don't think we'd drink it. I mean, we might let you guys have a, a shot or two. A little taste. Right, just yeah. a taste. <laughs> John, we're the, only, we're the only ones that make whiskey from that era. There's no one else that does it. We're, we're the only ones. We're Prohibition era specific. Yep. and uh, Because of the recipe. Correct. Because of the recipe, and I challenge anyone to say And the equipment. Correct. And the and equipment. The equipment mm-hmm. And the process. The, right. Yep. Uh, every step, there's about 30 steps to our process, and everything is era-specific. And it will always be era-specific because we believe there's magic in that formula. Hmm. And just try our product. You'll see. You'll feel the magic. You'll taste the magic. You'll you'll come back for more magic. It's it's just like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, come to Iowa. Um, what other states do you distribute to? Uh, right now, we distribute in Nebraska and Iowa. Uh, we actively rebottle for uh, companies that distribute in Arizona, Nevada, and uh, Wyoming. And uh, obviously, we're doing something with you guys. We're excited yeah. about that. You guys have a fantastic idea. We're excited to be part of your process. And, you know, we talked earlier about uh, making you our first gen, you know, as we come out with new products and, and new proofs and you know, we want to make you guys first opportunity to uh, to throw those products out to your your people, so that you can be first off and enjoy the the the, the fantastic products that spin off of this recipe. Wow, we're we're humbled, and uh, I don't think uh, anybody will be unhappy to hear that, um, just because of how good this stuff is. So, yeah, RackhouseWhiskeyClub.com. Once we get this, when the time you hear this, should be actively out and going, and uh, I would be. Uh, honored to have people try this stuff i'm about to try some more over here in a little bit well thank you for you guys taking the time to do this and it is god's whiskey there's nothing better and i got a motto never drink more than you can make (laughs) (laughs) well we can drink a lot today i can tell you that so let's keep making it you bet hey where can guys see the the iowa legendary rye is at iowa legendary rye.com yep awesome awesome man and here in uh Carroll County, Iowa, go out and Google it, come by. They got an awesome setup here. I mean, we're sitting right here in the middle of this tasting room. I suppose you call it a tasting room. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a really beautiful-looking place. So if you're ever in Iowa, if you're ever going across the country in the flyover states, stop by. Um, It's a pretty incredible place. Otherwise, you know where to find us online. So thank you so much for being on this podcast thank you for doing the filming and stuff today it was incredible i can't wait till the barrel hunt comes around i I'm, i hope to be right there along with you guys when you if you first find something because i feel like you will i mean right. grandma was smart enough to hold on to <laughs> thank, you. Yeah. Yeah, thank you yeah thank you thank you guys right. Actually, thanks just,